Hello, g'day and welcome to episode 109 of the Postflop Poker podcast, designed especially for the serious recreational player. I'm Merv Astro247 Harvey and I'll be your designated driver through today's show, joining you today from our first pet sit in six months in Northbridge, just four miles north of the Sydney CBD, fantastic views of Middle Harbour out my window. Whilst inside, we've got the sound of guinea pigs running their wheels in the background, while Lottie, the <laughs> Aussie Bulldog, sleeps snoringly by my side. So you may hear from some of those uh, during the show. Allow me to introduce my esteemed co-host. He's a poker coach, content provider for various sites, and more importantly, he wrote the book that's the reason why we're speaking with you now, Postflop. Originally from Manchester, England, joining us again from the capital of Thailand, it's Mr. Ben Hales. How's it going, Ben? Oh, not bad, Merv. Um, I'm, I'm a, a lot more slimline version of myself than I was uh, <laughs> uh, on the last episode. And a little bit, yeah. yeah, my wife's been cracking the whip, you know, dragging me down to that horrible gym place. And um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm seven kilos down, so... Yeah, Seven. well, I've been really hammering it. So, yeah, it, it, it had to happen though. I was getting a little bit porky. And, yeah, uh, I, I, I can't face I can't face it. So, um, yeah, yeah, you've got to take drastic measures, Merv, sometimes in life. And this is what's <laughs> happened. I've continued to drink beer and eat curry. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> But, I was uh, going to say that that's all you. That's all you'd have to do is stop drinking beer and eating uh, curry, and you'll drop seven do, kilos. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no life if they can't do that. So, yeah, you no, two hours, of, two hours of cardio every day, every day. That's the tr that oh, is sure. the trick. Yeah, that's the trick. If you burn thousand thousand two hundred calories in a day, yeah, then you you're pretty much free to eat what you want. Yeah. <laughs> So you're going for the burn the calories rather than reduce the intake uh, mode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, reducing the intake. I mean, where's the <laughs> what's the fun in that, Merv? You know? No, I, I totally agree. You can keep drinking, carrying along. <laughs> yeah, if you can still lose seven kilos. Yeah, I, mean, I can hardly watch Man United play football at the moment without having a drink. It's just, you know, it's not possible. Uh, uh, disaster zone. <laughs> Must be good getting that back. Well, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. Oh, Not it's been, it's been the odd man, yeah? yeah. No, we lost six one in the last game, so oh, yeah. six one. At home, I know. At home? Yeah. To who? To Tottenham. Oh, Dreadful. I suppose. <laughs> well, that's that's ex we've we've got something in common. My football team's done exactly the same thing after coming back and all lots of hopes and uh, we actually won the raffle ticket to go and see multiple games, but yeah, we just kept getting flogged. I think we got beaten by forty points. Well, the score of forty points, something like five or six times this year, and it's been a short year, so so no finals for us this year. Uh, mm. Not good, not good. It's just deflating, isn't it? Hence the drinking. You know. <laughs> but you've, yeah, got, cool. you've got some work back on. You, you've got some animals to look after. Is that because people are, are starting to travel around again now? Is that just a little bit? Just, just getting a sniff of it. So, yeah, um, yeah this is our first one in so long. It's so nice to have a a dog pet, especially a, uh, a smoochy, snuggly Aussie bulldog that. It's got one of those faces that only mothers can love, I think is how it's put. 
Yeah. 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 One for the older view listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Wacky races, yes. Uh, quality. Uh, yes, well, I, I certainly haven't been to – I haven't had time to go to the gym. That's not, not that I would go if I did. I mean, you don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, we've had so much on it. It's like uh, I know there's been – is it a dearth of episodes, PPP episodes? So, yeah, yeah. We should um, ap- we should apologise for our lack of episodes. Um, yeah, you know, people are eagerly anticipating these episodes, and you know, being made to wait, and then we produce this bunch of rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's uh, there's been it hasn't been without without good reason so uh I, I want to apologize as well i have had a few things going on we've had uh family members shout out to nana and uh, she's still going strong at 94 uh but her sister passed away uh, a couple of months ago at ripe old age of 99 and uh we have had a lot to do with uh, getting her place all sorted um yeah grandparents have had all sorts of doctors uh, appointments i've had uh I've actually had three mystery illnesses, uh, one potentially solved, (laughs) Uh, and then add in a whole stack of dentistry uh, stuff dropped on me. That's known, so at least I know what I've got to expect for that. Uh, And in between all that, I've been running a new operation of something that normally exists, an event that normally exists live. I've had to turn it into an online event uh, via Zoom, which I'd never used before March. We've got about 50 people, staff to roster. Uh, I've got to manage the clients, payrolls, everything like that. Um, that's going wonderfully. We've had about four or five events in the last six months. And I've also had to say bye to my iPhone 6, <laughs> losing about 10,000 photos and videos and over the past five years, including Vegas trips and oh, just... That that was that was devastating enough. But the worst thing about it all, the the absolute worst. No, still no live poker. So, but at least if if that's the worst thing that's happening in my life right now, then things are pretty good. So, uh, nothing to complain about here, Ben. Uh, <laughs> lots happening. Uh, oh, and, and and we've probably moved about four times uh, since the last one or two episodes. So, <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Busy times. 2020 has been a funny one for everyone. Um, and the post-flop poker team still going strong. But, yes. Uh, yeah, the, the episodes are not coming out fortnightly uh, at present, and we, we're doing our best. Um, but we have had some cracking ones recently. And uh, in today's show, what are we going to talk about, Merv? What have we got lined up? Uh, today's show, we have got a hand uh from the aussie millions one of my favorite events 2017 uh the winner you may recall him from hey. episode 30 shireen uh you knew a thing, you knew a thing or two about some whiskey didn't he <laughs> <laughs> that's all in, that's the training that's the training module uh <laughs> 
<laughs> I think he's franchising that idea and <laughs> get that mindset out there. Um, yeah, so we've got a, got a hand from that. Uh, it doesn't actually involve Shireen directly, mostly. It, uh, it does involve a certain Fedor Holtz who just won his second bracelet, uh, I believe. Yeah, that's why I chose the hand because I thought, well, Fedor has just won his second bracelet. Um, shout out to him. That's an awesome achievement and uh, very worthy uh you know one of the best players of the generation for sure um so i thought we'd, we'd pick a hand from from him and then when i found this hand from the final table of the lc millions 2017 i knew we had to we had to do it because because of the whole charade link and uh again, yeah. i know that's one of your favorite episodes can you remember what what number it was episode 30 30 yep. yeah okay yeah. so if you if you're up for listening to a a uh, really cracking episode from the archives. Episode 30 recommended. Uh, Shireen Vajiram on the back of winning the Aussie Millions. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Yes, satellite winning in, as as all good rec players uh, <laughs> can do. Um, yeah, fantastic story. And, yeah, I, I was hoping to have some news about the Aussie Millions January. Um Maybe it's probably better that I didn't get news because I'm not sure that they're going to be able to hold it in the next two or three, in three months' time. Uh, but I'll endeavour to find out before the next episode and uh, let everyone know. I saw Kitty Quo's keen to find out. Uh, so I'll at least find out for her and uh, and the listeners as well. So, Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. I'll get in touch with Joel. <laughs> yeah. Another previous <laughs> guest. <laughs> yes. Uh, episode. Uh, no, I haven't got that exact episode. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, back to the hand. So the hand was, um, yeah, it features Ben Heath and uh, Fedor Holtz. So, yeah, that's what's coming up. But before that, we've got a poser. And that poser is going to be to do with push fold. So tournament play. This. Tournament yeah. play. All cash game listeners can uh, just tune out. No, 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 no. <laughs> Valuable lessons. Valuable lessons for when they yeah, decide to uh, bink a tournament. Uh, yeah, this will be handy. You don't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's, uh, it's a post-flop play. All, all our tournament hands feature post-flop play, so they're, they're fairly applicable to cash games as well. But this one is short-stacked, so it's, uh, yeah playing um with a 13 big blind stack uh and uh some fairly intense icm pressure so it's one of the least cash friendly hands we've ever featured on the podcast ready to go just alienated half of our listeners oh, maybe i'm honest <laughs> I, I tell it how it is you know it is it is just forward wind to the end uh but you'll only have five or six more minutes to listen and uh, you can move on to someone else's podcast <laughs> that does handle cash. Well, we'll get some cash people on. And that maybe has episodes every week. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's a threat. Well, we, we might just have one next week as well, actually. Uh, uh, and plus now that you, I've, you got me thinking, I think I've got a, perfect cash person that we can get on as well so yeah we'll, we'll, we'll give something back for the cash players I'll tell you what, uh, I promise episode. I promise next episode which yeah we have got ho hopefully something lined up for next week because uh, we've got a guest um, 
I promise it'll be a cash hand. There you go. Can't really say fairer than that. No. No, no, no. One twenty, one cash, one twenty, one cash. I like it. Keeps the flow. <laughs> well, on, on that note, now that we've uh, we've pretty much introduced the hand, shall we uh, go straight to the hand after this break? Oh, that would be radical. Don't we usually do poser first? Hmm. Let's not you tell them. Let's not tell them. Let's just get it's to the a, break and oh, surprise the them. Like the yeah. You decide. And welcome back, everyone. We're here for our post for Poker podcast, Poser of the Week. Got it that time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it just had a fail, but I deleted it for it. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. We'll show up in the bloopers for sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, so this week's Poser comes from a Transform My Poker member to Ben uh, from the last webinar and that they had. And the question is, do I always need to choose push fold or push or fold from the small blind when the effective stack is less than 16 big blinds? Although although we'd say, what about between 12 and 20? I think that's sort of where a lot of people start thinking it kicks in, yeah? Yeah, I mean, the question was, was quite a lot more in depth than, than just this, but I've kind of streamlined it a little bit for the, for the uh, podcast because... Otherwise, it would take forever to answer. <laughs> um, but it was it was quite a good question because the, the the chap who sent in the question seemed to be under the impression that uh, twelve to twenty big blinds, because some of the push fold charts are giving ranges for shoving, that that's the correct action. And I just want to make perfectly clear. So when when you've got an option for push fold what the charts are giving you is the the optimal range for pushing and folding if you choose to push or fold right so there's a you, you can still choose other actions but it's not helping you with those actions and it's not giving you a um, an ev comparison between other options and push fold it's just saying if you're going to choose to push fold this is the game theory optimal, the absolutely most profitable range for pushing or folding. And they are perfectly correct. They're giving you the best push-fold options. But whether or not pushing or folding is the best play at 12 to 20 big blinds depends on a lot of factors. And most frequently, especially at 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20 big blinds, push-fold is not going to be the optimal play. Um, from the small blind, I think 12, 13, 14, when antis are in, I think normally push fold does make sense. Uh, 15, 16 is a very gray area. Uh, from the button, it, it's even more complicated because you, you know, you're guaranteed to have position if the action goes post flop. A lot depends on how comfortable you are seeing uh, a flop. At the short stacks and how, how the blinds are likely to behave. Sometimes you'll get players who will call a raise and then just shove the flop, you know, a stop and go move. Um, pretty difficult to play against that. So you 
you might prefer to 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 just shove all in at 12 big blinds from the button um as you go further back towards under the gun then i i, I don't really think that push fold is always the right play at, you know at, at 11 12 big blinds i think quite often you can run with a min raise or even limp in um or or just um you know look look to fold a higher percentage just to avoid the problem um so uh, it is it's a really complicated issue Murph you know 12 to 20 big blinds is not straightforward it's not always the same it is villain dependent it is tournament situation dependent there is ICM factors in so there's just too much to consider for a chart to be able to cope with all of the parameters you know so all all the charts do is say well look if you are going to choose push fold this is the best optimal range to choose and of course you still then need to think about the players sat behind you and are they folding too much or calling too much and then adjust accordingly for even within the, the push fold and the push fold charts still adjustments that are required so bag loads to think about um and i can't really give a straightforward answer to to the question well, yeah. Any thoughts on all of that, Merv? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think it's a really good point that you are still you still have the choice of whether to push or fold. It's not so much a matter of if I get to sixteen big blinds, what do what will I push with? Uh, that's probably what I thought when I first saw those charts. Was that oh, okay? This is telling me what I need to do when I have less than fifteen blinds or whatever the chart said from whatever position and more often than not uh, when I was consulting those charts to uh, you know I, I might consult them after I made the move and made the decision to do the the push and then I look at the chart and I go oh that was right at the very very bottom of <laughs> just a push or or it was nearly a fold and I probably needed to realize a bit more that it's still an option that's not uh it's not saying that you have to when you get down to to 15 15 bigs uh, yeah i mean ideally there's some co sort of color coding on them uh, like a red red is usually just you have to choose push or fold and, and that would be uh, yes. yeah. zero to ten big blinds with antis you know you 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 any other action is is just inferior so you should be choosing push or fold but then once you're above 10 big blinds i think that there is a case starts to develop and it gets stronger and stronger the deeper the stack for for choosing alternative options doesn't mean to say that a push or push fold choice is is uh, bad um but it it gets into that gray zone where you know there's interpretation there's a lot of different dynamics going on there's a little bit of freedom of choice for you to make this decision on your own and in the hand the hand we look at today obviously a really high high profile tournament final table bags of money at stake um that there's a there's a different choice chosen at 13 big blind stack depth so you know the push fold isn't always what what is required. You know, there are there are, there are other options. Um, yeah. I'm just I'm just thinking about my uh, my last tournament win. It was a few months ago, but uh, I think I played that 
short stacks so much and I kept choosing not to push the majority of times and I think there was only three or four times when I, I did uh, but the majority of times when I was in that situation where I should be or I thought that I should be according to the push fold charts uh, I just somehow just waited for a slightly better spot or a slightly better position that's yeah. probably controversial but <laughs> I mean you know there's there's mathematics behind the the correct push fold yeah. ranges oh. um, but yes I should say that none of my advice comes from the mathematically correct <laughs> advice so, um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think what's really crucial in in this poser, uh, and and for people listening, you know what what I want people to take away from this is is the fact that you have a choice between push fold and min raising. All right, mm. and if you're gonna if you're gonna choose push fold, you ought to be close to the chart. You know, yeah, yeah, you can deviate a bit, but you should be fairly close to what the chart suggests. Uh, mm. Any huge de deviations from that is going to leave you exploitable. And quite often your assumptions about the players maybe folding too much or calling too much are going to be incorrect. Uh, how often do you see someone who's nitty make a, you know, m make a pretty loose call? And how often do you see a player who you think is really loose uh, folding quite a good hand? It happens all the time. We, we make these assumptions that people are going to behave in a certain way and they're not always correct. So, you know, we, we mustn't over, over deviate according to our opponents. But if, if what, what's really important is we, we are choosing, are we going to push fold or are we going to play normal poker? Because if we're going to play normal poker and go with you know a fold or a min raise, um, then our whole strategy is different, and we need to to hone in on what we're doing with this min raise and how are we going to react to a three bet, and you know what what's our range look like? Are we folding too often to a three bet? Uh, are we able to call off with enough hands? Is our does our range make sense? You know, it's it's a difficult balance, and I think sometimes push fold can be a bit of an easy option. And it's important that you strategize well at 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 big blind depths uh, where you are, you are going to need to make tough decisions. You know, what happens if you get uh, called by four players and have to suddenly make a C bet or not? What happens if you get a three bet? by the small blind you know how are you going to react and how frequently are you going to be able to continue in the hand uh, so these are the these are the things that i challenge people to think about rather than um you know getting hung up on the precision of push fold the, the charts do the job for you right don't don't worry about uh you know yeah uh, you, you, you can you can use the apps as well for checking whether you're right or wrong the there's so many tools available for push fold. Um, you, you, you know, it's not difficult to learn that. What is difficult is knowing if you're going to play normal poker, is knowing how to play normal poker uh, successfully. Um, because at short stack depths in high intensity ICM spots, it's, you can get put in some really uncomfortable positions, and you need to uh, you need to be prepared for them. And you need to be able to react and do do the best you can. And the hand we're going to show today um, highlights some of these issues. Mm, excellent. Uh, and just before we get to said hand, uh, I just wanted to 
also say so the the difference between live and online pushing and folding mathematically may be the same but i think emotionally it's quite different uh, for the person that's playing online to be able to to shove 15 bigs or 14 bigs in with the um what the chart says from that position uh but i think that's quite different emotionally for a lot of players when they go to play at the local pub once a week or you know a few times a week and you know you're not going to get another chance to play for another couple of days or a few days and you've got you know, ace 10 off under the gun yeah the uh yeah to me that's that's an emotional decision that i think uh i'm going to say a lot of people have to go through uh, yeah <laughs> i mean it's very borderline spot uh, you know whatever stack depth you're at that's going to be very borderline um it's a tough one mm. under the gun with ace 10 off yeah very tricky yeah. Um, yeah. Might, you know it might be the might be the kind of spot where at 12 big blinds you should you should try try and min raise and then um you know build a, a whole range around min raising instead of push fold at 12 bigs from under the gun because it's fraught with difficulty uh, you know both it's it's it's, it's going to be difficult you're going to be placed in some difficult spots but i i don't think push fold is superior um so yeah i would i would encourage people to challenge themselves take the more difficult option um and yeah try playing normal poker i think you're right in the pubs people will tend to do that not not because um they think that it's better but because of the survival aspect they're, they're a little bit more survival focused um mm-hmm. yeah. yeah nice one yeah that that's great i was uh i've been often wondering about that uh with the push fold charts so uh excellent uh cash players you can now un- unplug your ears uh <laughs> We'll go into the hand now, at least. So I know it's a tournament hand, but uh, interesting one with uh, Federal Holtz and uh, Ben Heath. So we'll take a short break here and we'll come back with that particular hand, stretch that hand, on the Post Poker podcast. Welcome back to the Postplot Poker Podcast. We're into our stretch at hand segment, and we've got this wonderful hand from the 2017 Aussie Millions. Uh, shout out Shireen, uh was in well, was in this final table. He won it. Uh, he took it down. Episode 30. We've pointed you back there. Don't blame us if you don't listen to it. Great story. Uh, but yes, we've got a couple of other top players in it. Fedor Holtz and ben heath in the small blind big blind battle of the blinds so at this point we've got five players remaining uh, i think uh, fourth place pays four hundred and forty thousand. Third place six hundred and twenty thousand. so there's some big uh, money jumps there uh, and we get to this hand now we've got ben heath in the small blind with 2.7 million the blinds are 30,000 60,000 with antis of 50,000 and heath in the small blind has jack of spades four of diamonds so jack four off and after a little while he chooses to just call or limp 
against federal halts. What do you think federal halts is going to do? Well, the last time it happened, uh, previous hand orbit, Heath did the same thing. He leaned federal halts, shoved uh, 10 deuce right in his face. And uh, Heath, this orbit's prepared to do it again. And uh, this time, Fedor has a stack. He's in a bit of danger. He's in that danger zone. 13 and a half blinds. And he has 10 of hearts, 9 of diamonds. Uh, so Heath calls and Fedor this time just checks. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I think Fedor's check is fairly easy. Um, I mean, I'm in position. I, I don't, I don't want to bust out right now by shoving all in just for the sake of winning uh, the pot here and now I've got a hand that connects really well with boards um, I might be in a trap so you know uh, I, I don't don't want to particularly just shove all in pre-flop and th so I, I think from his perspective the check is the best play um, I'm not sure I'm not sure pre-flop from from Ben Heath's perspective. It's it's really really difficult because I mean he's only got 44, 45 big blinds. He doesn't want to just throw away 13 and a half big blinds on Jack four offsuit. I mean, there's 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 still some ICM pressure going on here. You've got to remember the money jumps here at the final table are pretty intense so it kind of makes sense for him to play a smaller part so I understand the limp and I know I've been very outspoken in the past at saying you know you shouldn't really be limping in out of position um, but I think this this is the, the type of spot where you, know, you probably do want a limping range uh, just to keep the pot small it's pot control you, your opponent's going to want to keep the pot small you both have a better opportunity of not playing a huge pot, which is in neither of your best interests when there are other players around who might bust out before you. Um, this is the ICM factor. you got Shireen just around the corner who's got a, a massive stack. And do, do we hear him on the video ordering a round, Merv? Is that, is that, is that yeah. his voice? Oh, uh, I think that is. I assume that's a round of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure if they were down to the whiskey at that point. I think they might have been, actually. So, uh, yeah, there is a, a cameo voice. I'm pretty sure it's Shazza's. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, just keeping the, keeping the table casual. Yeah, yeah, fun stuff. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do understand the, the pre-flop action here. Uh, I, I don't think it looks weird. Jack four off against 10-9 off. I mean... Yeah, it's not like if it was nine big blinds, I think you've just got to make a choice. You've got to go for it. Um, but at, at uh, yeah, at this stack depth, it's just just too many chips, and um, I think the ac action is probably correct. So what's the yeah. what's the flop move? So we go uh, to the flop. We've got a pot of one hundred and seventy thousand, and the flop comes king of clubs, seven of diamonds, eight of clubs. So completely misses uh, Heath, and Fedor has the up and down. So Heath bets out the min bet, 60,000, and uh, Fedor calls. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Heath's decided to try, just try and uh, take the pot 
straight there and there. Yeah. 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 Holt says, I'll have none of that. I've got an up and down straight draw. So, so Heath's um, having a little stab at this, which is entirely understandable. I, I, if for a Jack Four offsuit, I would probably be checking normally. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you've got a lot going on. You've got no club in your hand. There's two clubs on the board. I think if I had the Jack of Clubs, I'm much more likely to lead out. Um, without the Jack of Clubs or even the Four of Clubs, I, I, I feel as though, yeah, you haven't got that additional equity. There's not much going on. Um, he's barely got a he's barely got a backdoor straight draw. He, he's got a he's on a pair draw. Yeah, I mean and he's this, on a two pair draw by the time you get to the river. This, this, Could hit Jack Jack four. <laughs> he's got nothing. He's, he's just yeah. If you had to miss a flop, this is how you would do it. Yeah, I mean the fact that he's out of position, it it's not great. I think if, he probably feels if he checks. Fedor's probably going to bear and, he's, and he, he was going to have to fold. So instead, he's yeah. finding a different route through um, and decides to to, to, to to stab, limp stab, yeah. the old the old limp stab. Limp stab. Yeah. Oh. You know, against against players who let you do it, it's not a bad technique, you know. If you've got a yeah. big, big blind that's very passive, try the old yeah. limp stab, a uh, very cheap way of picking up a pot. Rather than, yeah. you know, rather than raising pre-flop, you do the old limp stab. Um, yeah. And like I said before, they have been outspoken about, you know, not, not limping too much pre-flop. Uh, uh, I have been known to do the odd limp stab in my time. Yeah. <laughs> as long as it's stabbing at your end. It's good. It's, if, if people let you do it, it's such a cheap way of making money. So anyway, yeah. obviously, obviously Fader is not, gonna let him get away with uh, this yeah. too much so it's a you know it's a dubious tactic but he, he does it I actually would have preferred a check from Ben um, uh, but this is okay and Holtz calls uh, it was 60k into a pot of 170 um, king of clubs seven of diamonds eight of clubs and Fado makes the call uh, I think he has to call really and I know he's got Obviously, he's got a lot of equity with an up and down straight draw. Um, so you might think at this point, well, could he raise? And I mean, I actually think raising that has a lot of logic to it because it, it produces immediate fold equity. Um, he could even raise all in with this. Um, he's got at least eight outs, right? Um, maybe more, probably more. So you, you would think that raising all in might be a good option but i think calling is just superior and again icm is in play which just accentuates the fact that you know if you can get through the hand without putting all your chips in jeopardy then that's a smarter way forward so he he opts to just call and um for any of you out there who would you know have a rush of blood and just shove all in and i'm not going to say i've never done that type of move before then it's understandable but it's not the optimal play here it's def definitely calling is is superior so you know correct from fedor two-time bracelet winner well done um to make the call and it, it it makes the pot 290k uh which means fadal will have um about 690 odd behind 
and uh, we see a turn card. Yeah, and that's well, is the Queen of Hearts going with the flop of King of Clubs, Seven of Diamonds, Eight of Clubs. Yeah. So, yeah. So Queen of Hearts comes down, um, and uh, I mean, this is a nothing card at this point. I, I would think Ben is not feeling too good. You know, his opponent has called the stab bet. Um, there's nothing really going on for him, and I think he's checking and folding. So he he, he checks, and yep. and Fedor decides to check behind for all the same reasons again. He could he could bet out, but uh, I think checking is is just superior. Um, he he's got a lot of equity, and he can delay any kind of bluff until the river. And that's the key thing here. It's like you don't have to pull the trigger now. You can wait wait to the river and pull the trigger then if you're going to make a bluff. There's absolutely no pressure on you in position to make the move on this street. There was no pressure on the flop. There's no pressure on the turn. And, you know, if he gets the opportunity on the river, he can always take that option um, and he may, he may, you know, by checking back the turn, he may be able to make a bluff on the river without even investing all of his chips, right? Because he's managed to keep the pot so small. <laughs> so great Spoil. play, I think, checking back the turn. Great yeah. play. Yes. So uh, keeps the pot at 290,000 and the river comes seven of hearts. So king of, king of clubs, seven of diamonds, eight of clubs on the flop. Queen of Hearts on the turn and Seven of Hearts on the river. And Ben Heath checks. Yeah, so it's a pretty... This this line that Ben's taken, limping and then stabbing and then checking both turn and river, there's a lot of junk in his range from the very start. There's a lot of junk in both of their ranges because, of course, the preflop action, um, you know, betrays that. Uh, but coupled with the post-flop action, there's there's a very strong likelihood that neither of them have much, you know? So uh, as Fedor gets the opportunity here, he has to think, well, I'm going to lose by checking back probably, which he is because, of course, Ben is jack high and Fedor is 10 high. So... um, They've both got the pair of sevens on the board, but the the, the kicker is 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 in play if he checks back. Uh, so it, the, his only way of winning is to bluff, and that's what he chooses to do. And he makes a uh, pot size bet on the end, three hundred k into the two hundred and ninety pot, which is basically half, almost half of his remaining chips. And I think it would leave him with something like five or six big blinds um but crucially if he if he does get called um or he does lose the hand he is still alive he's still there with a chip in a chair and if somebody makes a mistake on the next hand or there's a cooler then he he might bump himself up into fourth place and just by not choosing an all-in in in this hand he he lives to fight another day, and that could be represent a massive amount of money in terms of prize money. 
So the ICM factor huge in the decision to keep the pot small, the pot controlling line, and the bluff on the end. Not not all of his chips, but um, you know just just uh, enough to make it very difficult for Ben to call. And of course, Ben has to fold. So the the bluff in this spot is successful, and Fedor takes down a pot, which gives him some life. But not for mm. much, not for much longer, unfortunately. Yeah. <clears throat> and then if he actually did shove all in, uh, I mean, perhaps this uh, full-size bet by Holtz, knowing that it's half of his stack, looks a bit valuey to to Ben as well, because you know, it, it's one of those things that when someone doesn't have many chips left and they only bet some of them it's it's quite a quite tempting to think oh okay so they definitely have got something to value they don't want to push me off by an all-in bet they want to get something for it i know that can be used in reverse as well but uh yeah yeah i do, i think this is a good bet because i think a large chunk of ben's range he he really doesn't have any choice but to fold uh, including the hand that he's got i mean there's just no way you can make the call right with jack highs it's just not possible um so even if he even if he sus- suspects that there's a fairly high bluff ratio here I, I still don't think he can make the call uh, exactly yeah. So it's a it's a well timed and well sized river bet, but it's set up by a pot controlling line that um, highlights that you know both players do not need to be shoving all in, not just in the pre flop action, but through the post flop action. They don't need to be playing super aggressive poker um, when. The situation demands um, a, a, a more controlled approach, and that's exactly what happens here. And they show that you know they both play the hand well, um, especially Fedor. And yeah, I, I, I liked I liked it. It's it's simple, but it's blind on blind action. It's raw poker, and yeah, I think it's got got a few learning points. Yeah, definitely. And, and Fedor uh, managed to hold on for a little bit longer, but uh, ended up going out in fifth. Uh, ben Heath, of course. Ended up a second runner-up to Shireen. Shout out to Shaz one more time. Uh, well done. Uh, great. Well, I think we should take uh, one last quick break here and we'll come back faster than a president can get COVID and get rid of COVID <laughs> on the Postal Paper Podcast. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us for this episode 109. We're on the final lap here. And yeah, we've just got a few little things we wanted to uh, chat about. One of them was the RTA situation. Oh, Merv, Merv. That's that's a whole, yeah, you're opening up a can of worms there. Yeah, yeah, because of course, uh, I don't know if people are aware, but uh, the, there's a chap called Fedor Cruz who um, has been accused of of cheating 
on the GG Poker Network, uh, at least that network, I think America's Card Room as well, um, using a two-computer setup, you know, and having one doing all the analysis in real time and then the other one to hide to hide the fact that he's using the software on the other computer, but they're linked up. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty damning evidence, but uh, um, he's, he's yet to speak about it. Um, but I, I just think this is symptomatic of, of what's likely to be going on with the types of softwares uh, that, that are more and more capable of producing um, almost real-time good decision trees, you know, and it's just cheating. It just defeats the object of humans playing poker and it's going to, if it continues, it's just going to defeat online poker. If if we're not able to detect it, then uh, I'm afraid writing's on the wall, Merv. And that, uh, that RTA real-time analysis, it uh, sounds like it could be used in so many different industries to think that they're going to, yeah, it's infiltrating poker. I mean, I guess it was always always going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's an inevitability, and, and the software itself isn't evil. It's wonderful, and, and it's, um, uh, you know, if, if used sensibly and for good purposes then it's uh it's incredible and it's definitely the way forward in so many areas of life and without going into all of that uh from a poker perspective it you know it's solving the game and if people are able to play in real time with um, a complete solution available to them then yeah there's there's no uh there's no more online poker and that would be yeah that would be a disaster i mean i I thought we'd have another sort of four or five years i'm pretty sure eventually this is gonna happen and online poker will have a an expiry date um so yeah you've you've opened up a bit of a can of worms there merv i don't really want to talk about it No, I totally un- understand about that. Um, uh, <laughs> I think, um, actually, does that uh, relate a little bit to our guest next week? Well, yeah, in, in some ways it does, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, without giving the game away too much on who's going to be joining us next week, uh, I, I feel as though everything that he's going to talk to us about is all going to be positive and you know that's what i want to focus on rather than the the sort of negatives attached to all of this uh, so you know it'll be it'll be really interesting next week and having having somebody on talking about this part of poker is going to be exciting mm-hmm. no more uh, little clues to uh it's not. It's not. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. It's, it's not about GTA poker. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I'm glad you gave out the clue because I would have given a different one. So uh, that's uh, definitely something to look forward to. Um, we've had so much happen in the world like this last month or two. It's uh, been crazy what's been going on. Um, one thing I, I've been wanting to uh, mention just 
for ages now. Uh, Mike Sexton passing away. Yeah. World Poker Tour. Uh, just such a nice guy. Just um, I, I never got to meet him, unfortunately, but uh, for every person that, that's met him, they all say how generous he was. Uh, yeah, yeah. Generous with his time, with his, his spirit, to everyone that crossed his path, every, anyone that wanted a, um, an autograph or anyone just wanted to stop and say, hey, you know, I'm playing this or tell their bad beat story, he'd, he'd, he'd be there for them. And uh, uh, I think his life, he, he was so optimistic about life. This one of the things that uh, struck me, uh, if you, by the way, if you haven't, um, if you've been living under a rock and didn't know that Mike's passed away, do yourself a favour and go and listen to either the World Poker Tour uh, tribute, um, I think, and uh, and even even the Mike Mattis hour. It was like a four hour podcast with people ringing in their their tributes for this this wonderful kind gentleman that played our game of poker and and not just played it but pretty much steered it in in a direction that um, as as a lot of people were saying people wouldn't a lot of people wouldn't be making a living if it wasn't for this for this man so. Uh, I, I just I wanted to share one of the things that uh, you know, he always would or he would say is show the living we love them while they're still alive, and uh, yeah, I just want to add to that that we we should be doing that every day as well, and yeah, I just think that everyone should just be a little bit more like Mike, and uh, the world would be a better place. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Uh- and uh, it, it's very, very clear from the accolades he's getting right now that he must have been a, an amazing man. I only know him from, you know, the commentary on TV. And uh, so I haven't got much um, to add, but uh, he was very inspirational. And that's yeah. that's that's really helped the game of poker. Um, and... Uh, by the sounds of things, everybody he, he came into contact with really loved him. So, sad news, yeah. indeed. Yeah. May all your cards be live and all your pots be monsters. <laughs> yeah, loved hearing that at the at the end of the show. Um, yeah, so uh, thank you, Mike, for uh, everything you've done in in poker. Um, another thing I wanted to touch on going all sorts of uh, different directions here but uh, we got a, an email from uh, someone the other day who bought your book and uh, I just thought we might read his uh, email out to if we can are you ready for it have you did you see this or me yeah of course <laughs> I, I, re- I do reply to my emails so usually, usually. I'm just kidding <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know it's on that internet-y thing, and uh, you, you have to use that that um, in, internet email thing. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, this is a lovely letter from uh, Steve Deisner. Uh, he says he bought your book, your post-flop book, uh, to take away with him on a fortnight's holiday in deepest, darkest Scotland, well, Dumfries and Galloway. I've cheated and already started reading it before we've set off. Given its density of content, I think I should have booked the cottage for three weeks. Uh, cheers, Steve. <laughs> well said, Steve. Yeah, three, three <laughs> weeks. That's that's yeah, that's about what you need to get through post-flop volumes one and two. It's about five hundred pages. Quite a few pictures, though. To be fair. Um, yep. And 
yeah it, it no it, it's still still a really important book because there's there's nothing like it uh in terms of um approaching the game from a purely a purely statistical based look at, at post-flop situations you know so rather than focusing on uh, solvers decision trees which are obviously more accurate um from a optimal point of view mine's looking at well what what actually works you know what actually works against lower stakes opponents for the most part um from 40 million hands of of data so you know it's a massive work and I, i'm still very proud of it but uh you know it it's got it's definitely got its place and for people wanting to to make um adjustments to their post-flop game and to learn some slightly different ways of thinking about post-flop situations. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's still selling pretty well. I mean, five years on, I'm surprised. But yeah, we sold 4,500 copies. Uh, so that's that's pretty good. And um, hope, hopefully we'll hit 5,000 at some point. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'd, I'd actually like to do an episode uh, recapping some of the... Uh, some of the uh, gems in there. There'll be there's plenty of Merv medals. If if you want some Merv medals, then do an episode on the post flop book. And, it's a good idea. Uh, I like that. I like that idea. We should bring things back, bring things back round to the post flop book at some point because we've not not done anything with it um, for quite some time. Um, maybe maybe I should do like an update to the to the, you know to to reflect the changes in poker. You know maybe change the pre- uh, pre- preface slightly. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's got a lot to, to to offer still, and I'm happy that people are still buying it. Yeah, I'm hoping that uh, everyone that uh, enjoys it. In fact, I could even get ready to pause this, but uh, maybe we can have a giveaway. Um, give away a post flop book. Have we, we haven't done that for a while, have we? Yeah. So how about a giveaway, Ben? Uh, we can make it so that they tweet something good about you, the podcast that you've heard uh, a funny part or your favorite guest uh, yeah something about postflop just tag make sure you tag in at postflop poker and um, yeah maybe something like the first five that uh, sent something in we'll give a free book to yeah okay all right so it needs to be uh, any any thing that you remember about the postflop poker podcast that you've enjoyed any guests just any anecdotes about the Postflop Poker podcast, um, tweet it out and include at Postflop Poker. First five that we've enjoyed, we'll send a free book to. Yeah, uh, I might need an email address, but yeah, we'll, we'll work out that. Okay. I, I see what I see what you did there. Uh, the first five that we like. Uh, so, nah. <laughs> so if someone writes any shitty stories about us, then uh, yeah, yeah, you no, may. We'll probably not- like those ones. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. we'll send you two books, two copies of yeah. each book. <laughs> yeah, if it's really nasty. We'll send you. We'll send you two copies of the same book. <laughs> <laughs> part one and part one. <laughs> Oh, all right oh there's a there's a competition uh feels like ages since we've done a competition so all you got to do tweet something at postflop poker and yeah tell us what you what you like about it all righty excellent well uh i think on that note 
we should probably leave everyone because they've probably got to go and do their tweet. So, so we might, uh, yeah, start wrapping things up. If you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email on the contact page of the website, postlovepoker.com. And uh, one of the things you can do if you love the show is drop us a review on Google or wherever you're listening to the podcast. That would really help uh, other people to find the podcast as well and keep us sort of enthused and going. Uh, Not that we need that much. We love poker. So, um, yeah, thank you again to all of our listeners uh, and our patrons. Thanks to everyone for being uh, sort of patient through this uh, little dry spell of um, PPP episodes. It's not been something that I've wanted to do, but uh, yeah, it's just been very hard to find that um, that time and, and not having any live poker to talk about as well. But anyway, I'm over that. I'm over that now. <laughs> um, next week, we've got a fantastic guest coming up. Uh, ben, I'll look forward to talking to you then. Yo, cheers, Merv. Catch you yeah. next time. Excellent. And so to everyone listening, have a great rest of your day or morning or evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Merv, Astro247 Harvey, and we'll see you all next time with another episode of the post Poker Podcast. And to all our Scottish Gaelic listeners, be unarched and drusta. And to everyone else, bye for now. That sounded like the episode from Red Dwarf where you speak backwards. Have you seen the <laughs> yes. whole world runs backwards and they <laughs> pouring a beer backwards. Yeah. They give uh, you money to to drink a beer. <laughs> I, I do I do remember it, yeah. Uh, I, I did a big red dwarf run through not long ago. It was funny. <laughs> uh, yes, it's one of my favourite ones. I, they hop on the push bike and it goes backwards. Everything goes backwards. They're going to Lodnol. Game over.